Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Brian Nichols, who's the founder of Angel Squad, which is an angel investing community run by Hustle Fund. Brian is an alum of University of Southern California has worked in companies like Lyft, uh, Zooks, Ondek and Blackboard. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So, you know, um, you, you have an interesting journey before you got into angels. Called, um, you know, you started two businesses right after doing your master's, which was uh, date simply and reward tag. You know, um, uh, you were able to sell uh, a reward tag. But what was what was the entire experience like? Yeah. Uh, so reward tag was really my main focus. Date simply was a quick project that ended up getting an acquisition offer right out the gate. And we made a mistake and turned it down. Um, so I learned from that, but I really was focused on reward tag, um, which was a internet lost and found. This is in 2011, um, you know, pre air tag, right? Like how do you get a lost set of keys back? How do you get a lost digital camera back? Um, we created a, a tag that you put on your valuable items that connected to an online profile of yours that made it easy for somebody who found it to give it back to you and you could reward them for giving it back to you. So what we found the most interesting distribution channel was through um, like phone case and laptop bag manufacturers. Phone case manufacturers really like to include it in their products um, as a way to capture uh, registration information from customers. So you had to register your reward tag because that's how you were going to ultimately get your lost item back. And, um, the phone case manufacturers are the ones who really benefit the most from, from, you know, and, and, and just the manufacturers in general from capturing that data. And so this, this Australian, um, based luggage company called STM bags, they make phone cases, backpacks, laptop cases. They ended up buying uh reward tag, um, in 2014. And, um, that kind of freed me up to do my next adventure, which was Lyft. Interesting. And, uh, you know, when you're starting off, should you look at an exit strategy beforehand? I don't think so. I mean, it's always good to kind of dream up what what would happen if things go right. Maybe the one exit strategy is obviously you IPO, but the other would be you're acquired. I kind of think when you're just getting started, you have no idea where this journey is going to go. And you know, you think your product is going to be one thing, but ultimately the market pulls you in a different direction and you end up doing something totally different, which means that the exit partners are completely different than the ones that you might have dreamed up day one or day zero. So maybe it'd be a fun kind of exercise to go through. But at the end of the day, I would say, don't spend too much time thinking about that out front. No, oh, interesting. And, um, and you, then you got into Lyft, you know, um, and Lyft was, was competing with, with Uber, you know, uh, uh, just wanted to understand your experience then, you know, what would, what are some of the different strategies that you were doing? Um, because, you know, Uber came up with the viral, um, you know, referral program, which was pretty, uh, I mean, loss making for them, but, uh, but what were, what were you doing something different from them? Yeah. So I joined Lyft in 2014, pink mustache on the front of the car days, fist bump your driver days. And, uh, 
And, you know, obviously we had a huge disadvantage because we had a lot less money in the bank than Uber did. Um, my first role was to run all of the California markets. So um, in 2014, there was nobody just permanently focused on, you know, one market or or in my case, nine markets. Uh, all of the different California markets represented over 50% of all Lyft rides while I was doing this. Um, so like, you know, when I started to get my hands dirty and figure out how the whole kind of the marketplace worked, first of all, drivers were the key, right? So you needed driver supply to make sure that the um, when people opened the app, there was drivers close by. And so we had a lot of different kind of incentive programs that we came up with um, and we experimented with to try to increase supply in markets at the right place at the right time. And then the other thing, uh, and so there's, you know, there's the top level referral incentives just to grow both the supply and the demand side. But then there's like, okay, once they're on the platform, how do you incentivize them to uh, a driver to give their first ride? How do you incentivize them to drive at the right time? So one thing that I knew, I was young at the time and and uh, was going to Coachella and I knew that big events or going to be a driving force for both activating new passengers and then, you know, retaining existing passengers. And so, but you needed, you needed to win from a supply side so that your price and your ETA time to arrival for the driver to pick you up would compete with Uber or beat them. And so I was kind of the first person at Lyft to be like, Hey, can we do a big supply focused initiative just around Coachella? And, um, and really like lean into events as a whole. And so that was one thing that we really started to nail is let's get, let's get the word out well in advance. Let's get massive incentives in place because we know that it will pay out long-term to get people focused on the platform around events. And so that, that really kind of moved the needle for us. Interesting, you know, um, before the call, I mentioned I was part of two marketplaces. One was uh, OU Rooms and then other was Hyber uh, based in the, in the UK. Um, and it's always a chicken and egg situation. But since you've been very successful at Lyft, what comes first? Is it supply or is it demand? That's a good, yeah, it's a good question. And, and to be honest with you, Lyft had already gotten a little bit of that liquidity on both sides before I got there. Nice. But on, I, I actually ended up working at another marketplace later on. Um, and I think, you know, there is the chicken and the egg. I, I kind of think that, you know, getting the, um, the demand side sorted out first to make sure that there's actually going to be paying customers is, is key. And, and I mean, you're, you might lose them, but I think if you do the proper messaging on the demand side, like, hey, we, uh, we're launching this platform. If you think you're going to want to use it, you know, basically create a wait list and you can validate demand and the pricing on the wait list based on that. And once you have that kind of um, proof point, then, you then, you then it's time to really invest in the supply side. Because at the end of the day, the providers are the supply side. And if the, the SL, if the, the quality, if the, the kind of the standard, most important metrics that, that would matter to an end customer aren't there on the supply side, then they're going to churn right away. So, um, so I, I think in general, I'm, I'm more on the, the side of get a little bit of demand, make sure that this is something people want and then go big on supply. Interesting. Um, 
and uh, obviously you know you you went to zooks uh, and blackboard that was that was your last uh, operating role was it a conscious effort to you know keep looking at operating roles then mm-hmm. so yeah along the way you know i really i really found from lift that i love moving people around so i went to a different startup one was a self driving car startup um where i was helping building building the tools to move people around with Zooks which is a self-driving car company building the car building the software it was later acquired by Amazon uh then i worked at um Blackbird which is like lift for propeller planes you know flying people from LA to San Diego really short bunny hop not private jets private oh, propeller planes and um that was a three-sided marketplace um i was one of the first five employees i brought over a ton of my friends from lyft um we ended up it was a really fascinating learning experience we had strong uh market pull on the demand side for the price points we're talking about like 150 flights from la to san diego where you fly over the traffic and you know it's really cool to do it that way um and ultimately blackbird was acquired by surf air um and then along the way i started looking at the other side of the table investing and right. i started the lift alumni syndicate where um i was getting people from lift together to invest in companies that i was sourcing um and so that really was kind of a pivotal turning point in my career and 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 so the last operating role that i had at at a you know a venture backed startup was at on deck uh where oh. i was one of the first five employees there um you know really focused on the founder community and uh I, and you know from looking at it from the lens of both an operator helping build a community and a program for founders but also um as an investor i was sourcing deals that i could invest in in this really high caliber founder community yeah no absolutely interesting because i, I was part of the uh, on deck podcast fellowship uh, mm-hmm. which which somehow did not um, go beyond the first cohort and i'm i'm currently part of uh, the bd fellowship which is now called coho uh, so it's uh, so it's interesting oh. but but um but what was your first angel investment about um, and you know how did you how did you identify the right opportunity to, to invest in Good question. Um so the first angel investment I made was in actually a a company this was in yeah early 2019 called Brain Trust. Brain Trust is actually a web3 company. I'm not a big web3 investor, but I was very bought into the founder who um this guy Adam Jackson super successful. He he was the founder of Doctor on Demand and a couple other very successful marketplace businesses and he kind of had a pound your fist on the table conviction that the best way to power marketplaces long term is going to be on the blockchain and and he had a, a several really compelling reasons for why that is um and I, as a marketplace focused investor at first that's kind of changed over time um i i really believe continue to believe that he's right that there is something there from a kind of a take rate perspective when when it's decentralized uh to have less uh less of a take rate going to the middleman and more um incentives can be built on top of the blockchain to create a referral engine so um so anyway this if you want to check it out i think it's usebraintrust.com but it's a really compelling real use case with real major corporations using their marketplace it's a talent marketplace um 
<laughs> to uh, to like source engineers. Like I think Nike uses them to source their software engineers, uh, oh, for example. Oh. So um, that was my first investment. And uh, yeah, I've, I've done over a hundred, I think over 120 since then. Oh, okay. Okay. That's interesting. And you know, you know I, I've read one of, uh, one of the books called Angel by Jason Calacanis. And he mentioned that, you, you know, you need to invest into at least 20 startups, but how many startups should, should one invest into build a, you know, diversified portfolio? Yeah, I think, you know, 20 would be the minimum. I think probably like 30 to 50 plus. And we're talking about a thousand dollar checks here. We're not talking about $25,000 checks. I think a lot of people have this in their mind. And I, th- I think, you know, I was one of those people too, where angel investing is really meant for ultra wealthy, you know, people who could only, who could write easily write $25,000 checks into pre-seed startups. And that is just not at all the case. That's just not what's, what's happening in, out, out in the real world. It's $1,000 to $5,000 checks is by far the majority uh, range. And so if you're investing in, you know, 30 companies, if you do it with a thousand dollars each, that might be doable. If you're doing it with $10,000 each, that might be a lot harder for people. So, um, I would just want to make sure people understand that that's kind of the, the, um, investment size we're talking about here. I see. Okay. And, and how many deals should one do, uh, in a year? Um, ideally, because, you know, you start in 2019. So I think you, you've done close around 30 odd deals, uh, a, a year. I think you're very active, but what what advice would you give to people uh, if they want to, you know, start building it up? Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you should only invest in deals where you're excited. So I wouldn't like force, um, you know, force a annualized goal around it. I think if you're really active and you're finding that your, your deal flow is really high quality, like, you know, I don't think there's any reason to, uh, hold yourself back in a given year versus if they're, if you're just not seeing anything that that's compelling, or maybe the market is too hot and valuations are too high. And you actually just want to sit out the whole year because, you know, I think maybe 2021 is probably a year you look back and you're like, maybe I shouldn't have invested at all in 2021. Yeah. Right. So like probably in any asset class. So, so, you know, like, it's always easier in hindsight, but like, that's probably the way to look at it. It it just be really, really disciplined and, uh, and focus on the things that matter to you and using a framework that you feel confident in when you're assessing investment opportunities and kind of go with that versus, you know, any other, any, anything else. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives Increase the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. And you mentioned about Lyft Syndicate. I think you you were able to collaborate with Anne Murako, uh, uh, and and she's a legend. How did you get connected to with her? And you know what was what was the thesis of that fund? Yeah, so the Lyft Syndicate's still around today. And I mentioned I started it in 2019. And when I started it, I really I was new to angel investing. I, I didn't know you know what I was doing, frankly, and okay. so as somebody who is going to be sourcing deals that I was going to share with you know, hundreds of my friends from Lyft, uh, who I reached out to directly and said, here, I, you know, if you're interested in angel investing, join this syndicate. It's free. 
um, you know, I'll be sharing deals that I go out and source and you can invest if you want. There's no like requirement. And along the way, just from networking with all my old Lyft friends, um, somebody was like, Hey, you know, you should meet, uh, you should meet Ann Mirako. She, she was the first investor in Lyft. She's a, a legend, like you said. Um, and so I met her, uh, I, I was hustling really hard on the deal side and I started to just bring lots of deals to her. And, um, we started reviewing them together and then we started reviewing them together every Friday. And we started doing, and we continued doing that for like three years, basically. And to this day, we have a monthly call where we do the same thing. Um, so, you know, it's been like a four year journey where I've gotten just this incredible privilege of being one of her mentees. And, um, and so as a result, you know, thankfully I've also sourced a couple deals that she ended up doing and leading and, and, uh, at least one of them is like a absolute rocket ship. So I feel really good that I can return the favor for her in some small way. Um, but yeah, Anne and I have reviewed probably definitely hundreds, maybe we're at the thousand mark uh, deals together. And then from those, we select the ones to share with the Lyft syndicate. Oh, interesting. And and you mentioned about, you know, sourcing deals. Now, obviously you caught a, a big network because you, you were an operator, but but what advice you give to somebody, you know, who wants to run an angel syndicate, but they're like a like a product guy or a, a revenue guy in a in a startup, but um, doesn't have that big a network. Uh, mm. how, what advice would you give them on sourcing deals and how do you run like an angel syndicate? So I'm going to answer those two questions totally separately. So the first question is, how do you source deals? Right, like it's yeah. kind of hard to build your own deal flow. So. Number one for sourcing deals, you need people to know that you're investing in deals, right? right? So you need to promote that. That might be posting on LinkedIn. That might be updating your LinkedIn experience saying angel investor and here are the companies that I've invested in. Um, if you haven't invested in any, still just put angel investor because people need to know that you want to start doing that. If you're going to, and you should be genuinely interested in doing that. Um, if you're, if you're going to say you're an angel investor, but put it out there, um, you'll start to just get inbound. Most of it will be low quality inbound. So you really are going to need to start to network with your friends and keep an eye on who of your smart friends are starting companies. Inevitably there are going to be some, and so you yeah. need to be right on it. And when you're on it and you find, you know, let's say over the course of Three months, you find like five to ten people who are starting companies. You you know that's hard work to do that, but it it if you really put your shoulder against it, you will you will get there. And you say, hey, can I see the pitch deck? And if you think it's a high quality company, then use that to get in with conversations with venture funds and other angel investors and say, hey, my friend, he's starting this company or she's starting this company. Check it out. Um, here's the link to the deck. Are, are there any companies that you're interested in? I'm, I'm, you know, here's my background. I'm interested in getting involved. And it, the the way it works in this in this ecosystem is it's kind of like a the deal is the currency. So if you go to if 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 I go to Anne Mirako and I keep sharing deals and she ends up investing, you know, Anne's going to bring me along when she's investing in deals, and that happens across the whole ecosystem. It's not just because Anne and I are doing that every week. It's if you are sharing high quality deals. The people you're sharing them with should be returning the favor. And if they're not, then, you know, you should probably call them on that and be like, Hey, can you, is there anything that you can share with me? <laughs> you know? Um, 
but uh, that's how it works. And once you start to build that sort of flywheel, it's on, you're in it. And, uh, and then, so that's, that's deal, deal sourcing. It's a lot of work though. You gotta, you gotta, you know, really want to put your shoulder against that. Even more work is the syndicate piece because not only are you committing to investing in a deal, you've, you've sourced the deal, you've decided that you want to invest, you're going to invest. And then you tell the founder also, I'm basically going to run a Kickstarter campaign for you. It's going to be a syndicated deal. I'm going to share it with a bunch of people. I'm going to write up a memo. It's going to explain why I like this company. And then everyone in the syndicate is going to have the choice to invest $1,000 up to whatever they want. Um, and we'll come all together as one line item on your cap table. So it's not going to be like a 50 different people who take up different lines on the cap table. So it'll be nice and clean, but um, you got to give me a couple of weeks at minimum. And, um, and I'm actually not totally sure how much money I'm going to be able to collect, but it, you know, on Angelus, which is what I use, the required minimum amount is $80,000 unless it's changed. I think it might be a hundred thousand dollars, but so you need to be able to pool together, you know, let's call it a minimum of 80 K. Uh, so that's a lot, it's a lot of work to do that. And you have to really clearly communicate why this is a compelling investment opportunity. And then the, you know, some, some secrets are, they're not secrets, but some things that you need to know are, um, people in a syndicate are going to be looking for signal. And the signal usually comes from who else is investing. And that's unfortunate because I don't care who else is investing personally, be, but the people who are maybe one step removed from the founder, because they're not necessarily meeting the founder, they're going to care who else is investing just as like a, it's almost like a confidence booster that this is a legitimate company, right? And maybe like that, that high, high tier one VC hopefully has done their diligence on this company. And so, uh, you know, investors in a syndicate are going to look for that. And the other thing is, you know, they're really... I, I believe syndicate um, investors want to see a certain level of traction to get comfortable with it. So if it's, you know, pre-product, good luck raising. If it's post-product, but only the only doing 10K and MRR, good luck. It's going to be really hard. If you're, if you're at like 50K of MRR, or you write like, let's call it 500K of ARR, you have a pretty good chance, especially if that's growing quickly to be able to syndicate that deal. But if you don't have one of those two things, you're going to have a really hard time unless your friends who are in the syndicate just like will follow you off a cliff. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. uh, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You you mentioned about uh, in, investing a long time, uh, you know, uh, tier one VCs and or, or co-investor. I, I had uh, Peter Livingston from Unpopular Ventures who came on the pod and he said, like, um, uh, I mean, the thesis is that they look at unpopular opportunities and they don't really look at uh, you know co-investors or tier one VCs. But but you are absolutely right. A lot of uh, you know part-time angel investors who cannot go do uh, deep research would want to have uh, VCs along. But but how do you how do you ensure that um, you're able to invest along with, uh, you know, table and VCs. How do you get that opportunity from the founder as well as from the VC to allocate you a, a, a portion of, uh, of that round? Yeah. And shout out to Peter Livingston. He's a, he's definitely a syndicate legend and he, uh, I love his approach. Um, yeah. and 
you know, good for him that, that, that they don't look for that. I, I don't, I don't either. I just, um, it's, it's just gives me confidence that I'll successfully, uh, follow through with my commitment to a founder that we're going to be able to hit, you know, a minimum of hundred K. And, uh, I, if the founder is like hoping for 500 K then that really helps. And Peter would tell you the same thing. Um, but, um, uh, on, um, sorry, can you repeat the question? I just, I totally blinked. Oh, how do you get into the deals alongside the tier one? So, yeah, I mean, ideally it's the tier one that's bringing you into the deal. And they're like, Hey, we're leading the round in this company. Do you want to join us? They have another, you know, a little bit of space left now during a bull market, there's not going to be space. It's just going to fill up before you could even move to it. Um, and you know, that might not even be the worst thing, uh, for you to just miss out on that deal. Cause it might just be too hot and overvalued, but on the, um, you know, if in this market, for example, um, now we're talking in July of, uh, 2023. So things are a little slower, you know, most of the leads are actually, they, they make their, they give the term sheet, they sign it, they're making their investment. And then they're actually going to go help, um, you know, help fill the rest of the round out, help the founder. So for example, I'm about to do a syndicated deal alongside a VC who brought, he's bringing me in. He's, he's like, Hey, we're leading this round. It's a great company. You should meet the founder. And so, so that's, that's how I just sourced a deal, the next deal that I'm going to do. Um, and then, you know, founders also, they'll, they'll cite that they'll say, look, Hey, uh, Excel is leading this round. Uh, we've got another hundred, you know, 1.5 million of allocation left in this round. You know, are you, uh, are you interested? And so that they can, they can leverage that sort of, uh, to, to help round out their fundraise. Got it. Got it. Interesting. And, um, and, you know, uh, lastly, you know, you've been with, uh, Angel Squad since 2020, um, uh, and, you know, you, you call YC of Angel Investing, you know, what got you excited about, about Angel Squad and how, how you're helping build the community of angel investors to invest in startups? Yeah, thanks. So, um, you know, so I guess the journey to Angel Squad, which is what I have created and, and what I focus on today, uh, started with the Lyft Syndicate. And that's when I realized when I opened it up beyond Lyft alumni to just anyone on AngelList, I started to see like who all is interested in early stage investing. And it turns out pretty much everyone is. Uh, and is. it's really obvious to me now that you know they should be because there's a huge opportunity to diversify into a asset class that performs really well if you're able to get into you know just a few of the right deals and uh and so wh- where do you start though like I, I these people are joining my syndicate but they don't know what they're doing and i didn't know what i was doing when i was first getting started so there that's part of the problem is they're just looking at who else is investing to me i felt there should be a better way for these people to to get started with learning how to angel invest before they even start investing and so i connected with hustle fund an early stage venture fund with amazing investors like elizabeth yin who's been on your podcast eric bond she and co three friends from Stanford who started this fund six years ago. They, they all have been founders themselves and have had success in their own right. You know, what if they could teach people how they make investments at their fund? That would be really interesting. That doesn't exist. A way for people to learn how a fund is making their investment decisions and then to be able to invest alongside 
that fund into the same companies that the fund is investing in, right? Like at the same terms alongside that, that fund and having a inside sneak peek at why the fund is making that investment decision. And so you'll hear directly from Elizabeth, we're investing 250K in this company. Here's why. Here are the risks. Here's what I love about it. Here's how I know the founder. And you know we're investing this much, which is a lot for our fund. And so that was uh, we started this program in you know January of 2021. Um, now you know two and a half years later, we are at we've crossed 1,500 members. Um, it's gone way better than we could have dreamed. And it's amazing to hear people like you kind of point out that it's becoming the YC of angel investing. We always have admired what YCs have done, what YC has done for founders, um, kind of be, becoming the default place. If you're starting a company and you're looking to raise money, you should probably consider YC to get off the ground as a program and community that, that will really jumpstart and accelerate that journey. Um, you know, we think we're, we're becoming that too, or at, that, at least that's kind of the goal for, for, for angel investing, not for founding companies. Yeah. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan. Uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. You mentioned that, you know, Elizabeth talks about uh, about all, all the startups that they're looking to invest, but, but how does the decision-making process look for new deals uh, within the Angel Squad? Does everybody, all the 1,500 members get to uh, decide if they want to go ahead with the with the with the investment deal, or is it about you know opt in like what happens with other syndicates? Yeah, everyone gets to decide if they want to participate, and plenty of people never invest. In fact, there are plenty of people who are not accredited in Angel Squad, meaning they don't meet the financial uh, accreditation rules. And we number one, um, if they want to become accredited, we actually have a lot of resources to uh, to help get them there. We pay for their Series 65 exam, which is a big step in becoming accredited. It's like a $200 fee to, to take that test. So we pay for that. Um, but also, um, you know, some people just, they're founders. Founders can benefit a lot from just learning how, getting an inside scoop on how a venture fund is making investment decisions and learning the framework and then kind of taking their startup or the startups that they're thinking about and applying that same framework and making a decision about, hey, maybe maybe I wouldn't even invest in this company. If I wouldn't invest my money in this company, maybe I shouldn't invest my time in this company, right? And so I think we have a lot of people who aren't even in there to do much investing at all. Um, they're they're more there to learn and the the and network for you know amongst a, a lot of really high caliber folks who who have joined angel squad over the past couple of years i see and and, and you you know we earlier alluded about why combinator where they have uh, summer and winter cohorts uh but but does angel squad uh how do they approach training and mentorship you know um what works and you know what doesn't work when you're trying to train people to become better angel investors yeah really good question so um 
So every quarter we bring in a new cohort as well. This is going to be squad 11 actually kicks off tonight. So every, this is our quarterly kickoff. We take them through kind of a standard series of uh, training. So the first, this kickoff is kind of getting them oriented and, and showing them where everything is. The next event is a deal assessment framework review with Eric Bond, Hustle Fund GP. He's going to go through every single element that we consider when we're making a startup investment decision and our framework at Hustle Fund. Uh, the next event is a deal mechanics workshop, kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of like, what's a safe? How does dilution work? All of the, you know, what happens when there's a priced round? All of the kind of the, the key critical fundamental components you need to know. And then uh, the last event, these are weekly events, um, is a deal review with Elizabeth Yin, where we go through three slide decks together and basically click through the slides and say whether or not Hustle Fund is going to take the meeting with this company. And so this is, these are real, like we're going to go through it and is Elizabeth going to meet with this company or not? Why or why not? And just see kind of a peek inside Elizabeth's mind as she reviews comp, uh, reviews investment opportunities. So that's kind of like the content that is synchronous and um, every cohort goes through that same process. We've also put together four different courses that people can take that are kind of focused on different things. Um, so like... I guess I think that's just another form of the curriculum that people take advantage of. And then the, the I think a really valuable form is we have a amazing, um, highly engaged community. So we use a platform called Circle, um, yeah. a great place for people to ask questions and get them answered, a great place for us to host all of the content. Everything we've done for two and a half years is recorded. And so if you want to go back and look at B2B SaaS pitches, you could, we've labeled everything. You could easily find those. Uh, and so the, uh, there's tons of content there that's stored on there. Everyone in the, in the community is very eager to help each other. So if people are like, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, this investment decision, or has anyone started a fund based in Singapore? Like whatever the question might be that somebody in the squad is asking, you know, we think that we'll probably be able to, to come up with a helpful answer. Quite interesting, and uh, and you know, from your time as a syndicate lead, and now you know, and the co-founder of uh, uh, Angel Call, what is uh, what is the founder m- most want in the cap table? You know, uh, and will we see a generation of you know operator-led founders or founder-led funds? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, if I you know if I were to start a venture-backed company today, I would lean heavily towards operator angels. Um, and emerging managers who have maybe taken that next step of becoming fund managers, but they're net, they still have the really closely tied network of, of operators. Um, because, you know, I, and then I think there are some institutional funds that are amazing and super helpful in, in their wisdom, you know, bringing them on the board, like bringing Ann Mirako onto the board would be a dream uh, because, you know, she's on the board of Lyft. She's, been, she's on the board of a lot of really successful companies. That getting that wisdom um, is also incredibly helpful, but I I do think over the past let's say five years especially, there's really been this breakthrough on the um, the democratization front, right? Of people who otherwise ten years ago would never have had access to invest, they have access now. They're hungry. 
when they put in a $2,000 check into your company, they want to see that thing go up. They don't want it to, to vanish because $2,000 to them probably you know means a lot. And so if if they read an investor update that says, "Hey, I'm looking for introductions to, you know, this uh, this division at Nike." Oh well, it turns out like maybe as an operator, your best friend works at Nike, and maybe they even work in that department. What if you could connect the founder to your best friend? Right, there is a much higher probability of that happening if you are an operator than if you spent the last 20 years in VC and are just a, a passive investor. You're not going to get those sort of connections. And thankfully, you know, I think now that there's so many more operators in the mix, I think the 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 ways that founders are being uh able to leverage are, are able to leverage the help of the folks in their uh you know on their cap table is it, 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 you know it's really exciting to see how far that's come and how that's evolved. Got it. And, um, uh, you know, I've been, I've been a fan of uh, the Hustle Fund content. Uh, I'm, I get usually get this email from Kera from Hustle Fund and a lot of, you know, great tweets from um, from Elizabeth and uh, and others. And I've seen you also put up some great content on Twitter. So what what is the content strategy? You know, it's like, like a, you know, A16Z is also putting out like a content team and so is 20VC. But, uh, but how should somebody, you know, portray themselves as, uh, you know, thought leaders if they're trying to build their brand as a syndicate or as a, you know, a, like, like a VC? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. It's, you know, I think Hustle Fund, Eric, Elizabeth, um, you know, the way that those three different accounts, let's say, have have done it is just they've been extremely authentic to who they are. And Elizabeth, she's like a startup junkie. She's constantly thinking about these these incredible, you know, tweet storms that she has. So she she just types those out on her phone. She doesn't they don't she doesn't draft them. She just it's like she's texting a friend. Um, But like that's because she has so much knowledge and she's able to just put it all on paper super clearly for for the audience. Eric is much more of a, um, he's, you know, he's more of like an emotional, uh, authentic, transparent human. And I think he really leans into that, like that, that's like what he's all about. And so he's built an amazing following from, from doing that and just sharing, you know, his, I guess his truth is what he would say. Um, And then, you know, what I would say for for folks who are thinking about this too, it is a great way organic you know content or the, just the, or the strategy of building a brand. It is a good use of your time. However, it's not the best use of your time. The mm. most important thing for you, if you're a founder, is to build something that people want and that they're willing to pay for. And so, first, make sure you have that because if you don't have that, then building the brand is a distraction for you. Uh, and so, so that's, so that's one thing. If you're an investor and really all you're focused on is, is, you know, trying to build up more deal flow, it, it's a, it's a, you probably at more of a top priority to, to build that brand. But what I don't like to see is when founders, you know, think that this is, this is the move for them to really, you know, spend 30% of their time on just content where, they should really be getting more into the weeds of their business and making sure that that thing is going to work. Um, because 
you know, ultimately what we're talking about here is customer acquisition. And for, for Hustle Fund, our customer is the founder. And now with an angel squad at Hustle Fund, it's the investor. So we're getting a lot of free customer acquisition because people like Eric, people like Elizabeth and people like Hustle Fund and, and they come to um, to either apply for funding and and you know try to get a, re- receive an investment from Hustle Fund or they're trying to join Angel Squad. So it's great for us because you know Hustle Fund sees about a thousand deals a month because of that. And and you know and then Angel Squad we're seeing we get you know about I don't know uh, how many applicate I think like almost a thousand applications a quarter for Angel Squad. So. Um, so it's, yeah, so it has worked from a CAC perspective. We don't have to pay for any of that. Uh, but at the same time, we really focused on like, what are we, what is it that we are doing uh, and making sure that that is a great product for people and then start building the brand. Got it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It totally makes sense. You should focus on your core activities and, you know, content comes uh, comes much later. And, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? So my favorite business book, I actually have two. So Made to Stick is probably the book I recommend to people the most. Um, it's really, really compelling. I, I guess it's talk, especially about brand and storytelling and maybe fundraising. You probably need to read that book again. It's super, super good. And then the other one, if you're a manager of people, uh, it's called Drive by Daniel Pink. Um, and he really focuses on like, what are the, what are the key components of management uh, and motivation for people. And he talks about, you know, the difference between autonomy, mastery, and purpose, uh, and and how those things really are the core ingredients to having kind of a motivated team. So I really leaned into that when I was at Lyft and was managing a pretty big team and making sure people felt high levels of autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Um, mastery meaning, are they getting the skills, building the skill a toolkit that they that they want to be building um and then purpose like do they feel very mission aligned and so um anyway he goes into a lot of detail shares a lot of cool experiments that he's uh, and studies that that have been done um to kind of validate that that hypothesis but we'll put that in the show notes and um uh you know if you could go back in time when you started in angel investing and started with angel squad what is the one thing you would have focused on or done thing differently um it's a really good question. I think if I were to start over, um I probably would have come with a more complete framework about like what are the things that I care most about when I'm making an investment decision. And so literally write it down like here here are the 10 things that I think, you know, eight out of 10 must be true. That's one way to do it. Like I need an exceptionally great founder. I need a market that is growing quickly. I need a good why now, right? Why does this, why is it, why hasn't this worked before? And why is now the right time? Is there like a regulatory change? And I think if you kind of create your list and that framework and you stay disciplined to it, uh, you you're able to strip out some of the FOMO, strip out some of the who else is investing, and really just focus on you and what you care about. Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, don't. Most people just don't do that, and and I certainly didn't when I started. And uh, and then I actually ended up putting together a spreadsheet, and literally every single company I looked at, I would score all of those different inputs before I made a decision. 
Hmm, interesting. I I remember I, I I was reading Jason Kalkanen's Angel, and he would say they create an Excel sheet, uh, and uh, and look at why you're investing. But you know, over the time, I stopped doing it. But it's something which I should again uh, restart doing it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, and lastly, you know, what's your favorite online tools? Example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom, Zapier. I'm a big no-code guy. Uh, that's my favorite tool. Um, it's a ma- it's just magic once you learn how to to, to use it. Um, automating some of the manual stuff that you otherwise would be doing. Um, it's just it, it's it's a great feeling. Uh, did you say it's Zapier? Is it Zapier? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Okay, got it. Yeah, we'll we'll put that in the show notes. Um, and Brian, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Angel Squad? So best way to reach out to me would be on LinkedIn, probably. Um, so search Brian Nichols, um, angel squad is probably the easiest way. And then, uh, so if you're interested in checking out angel squad, our website is hustlefund.vc slash squad. Um, and you'll see just a ton of information about how it all works. And if you're interested, you schedule a tour. We'll show you around, show you what what it's all about. We want to learn about you and what you're interested in. And if it's a fit, then then you can take a look in, at, at joining as a member. Wonderful. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for taking our, you know, your time. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.